Alright, welcome back uh, to episode 3 of the Clockwork King podcast. Uh, I'm your host, author, babbler, whatever it is, uh, J. Thomas Bowman. Um, we're back, we're doing it again. Thanks so much. Uh, if this is your first one, I, I guess I should probably say this at the beginning of uh, each episode, um, but this is more or less an audiobook. Uh, so the things are sequential. Um, this is a, you know, one through 38 chapter read or something. Um, so if you just wanted to get a feel for the book, um, listening to a single one, a one off, uh, if you wanted to see if you could tolerate my voice for 30 minutes at a time, uh, maybe that's okay. That's not a bad thing. Uh, but if you wanted the story all the way through, uh, for chapter one through the end, whatever that happens to be. Um, going back to number one, start there. Um, to make it easier, also for new listeners, I think what I'm going to end up doing is maybe every five episodes, I'm just going to compile the story, throw them all into one big, long hour and a half read through or whatever. And that way, people don't necessarily have to listen to uh, the intros and outros every single time. They can just listen to one giant uh, chunk of story, get caught up to where wherever they pick me up at, and then they can listen currently. Um, but we'll see, because I've got to get through at least five episodes to do that first. So, let's see, where are we at? Last time we read uh, Chapter 2, The Prince, or whatever. Um, in this chapter, we met Dane, uh, a young man really lacking self-confidence. Uh, just happens to also be a prince. Um, he was uh, waiting in a stream, um, out to catch dinner. We also met his uh, guardian for the moment. Uh, his name's Rendis. Uh, Rendis is an old man, doesn't really look like it. Uh, bright blue eyes, um, thin, just sort of unknowable. Um, supposed to be old, but doesn't act like it. Uh, you know, sage, wise, maybe. I, I don't know. I don't know. We'll see what, what he turns into. Uh, but for right now, he's just an old man, and he is uh, more or less bossing Dane <clears throat> to stab a fish. And he doesn't really want to. Uh, doesn't believe in himself. Turns out he did. Rendis gives him this big, long speech um, about how awesome he is, how awesome he could be if he just made an effort. And I think part of the reason I wrote that, that really resonated in my life. Um, I really I held back on a lot of stuff I, I could have done uh, just because I was worried about um, not succeeding. And so, of course, you don't try, so you don't succeed. And uh, then that just reinforces that point. Um, that also includes making a silly podcast or writing a silly book. Uh, but here we are doing both now. Uh, so that chapter, chapter two, was just a real quick introduction. It's very short. Uh, I think it was 12 minutes worth of story, maybe. And it was just introducing our second main character. Um, no big deal. Uh, what we're going to get into tonight is uh, chapter three, titled The Blue Pigeon. So here come the chimes. Uh, let's go. The Blue Pigeon. 
Wren stood on the highest peak of the Temple of Detrim, surveying the square below, seeking out signs of life. At this time of the night, most had left the streets, though that was not to say the night was dead. Far from it. There were myriad taverns within the city proper, and even some outside the walls. It was to these bastions of merriment that the people retreated during the quiet of the night. Who could say that the streets were quiet because the people left them, or if the people left them because they were too quiet? None would ever know because this exodus was the way of the people in the city, and there was nothing that would change it, not in Wren's lifetime at least. The tavern were to Wren's mind the single best thing about the city laissant, and they catered to every taste imaginable, and even some that weren't. This was where the party went once the second moon set. These taverns ranged from posh socialite clubs, filled with bureaucrats and their soon-to-be mistresses, to the dirt-floored establishments where one could die as easily from a knife in the back for a flippant comment as from the libation served within. But no matter where one chose to make themselves seen, it was sure that they would find a rousing good time. The city Laysan itself was split into four major squares, built one by one as the need for trading space grew, and homes and businesses sprawled out to encircle landmarks. It was the West Central Square that he now looked down on, the forge ring. Wren searched for the door to the blue pigeon and the gloom that lined the walls and covered the empty cellar stalls. The stillness in the square was almost surprising, a shock simply because it was so very different from the day. During the day, these stalls were filled with brightly dressed merchants hawking their wares. They shouted and sang, boasting of their high-quality goods or their rare treasures. The streets smelled of roasting meats and rare spices from far-off countries. The crowds were ever-present, and they pushed and shoved and swelled and surged this way and that. At night, it was the quiet and the calm, and the only thing that remained of the day was the slight yet noticeable sour stink of the masses that had retreated indoors. The colors were washed out, blacks and grays and pale purples. This color palette did not quite fit City Laysan. The city was awash with color under the daytime sun. City Laysan was a city built on one of the greatest natural harbors on the continent. It was a trade city built to be invaded daily by other peoples from far off places. Walking the streets during the day, Wren could count five hands the number of different countries represented, from the black-skinned Riyads of the north, dressed in heavy furs, to the pale giants from Thundar to the west, and every country and culture in between. The city, despite being invaded every day by so many cultures, had one that was distinctly its own. Banners hung from every gutter, peak, and post, their colors running the full spectrum and the only rule seemed to be that the more garish, the better. But at night, it was all blacks and grays and pale purples. Wren peered over the edge of the tile roof. He saw no one and sidled closer to the edge, turned his back on the drop, and stepped off backward, catching himself on the gutter just in the nick of time, allowing himself to hang some 30 feet in the air. Wren let his weight stretch his back out, groaning as the knots in his spine cracked and popped themselves to nothingness. With a sigh of contentment, he released his hold on the gutter and dropped swiftly to the ground below. He allowed his knees to buckle when his feet hit the ground, collapsing his posture to absorb the shock of the fall. He straightened immediately, pleased with a rather acrobatic maneuver perfectly performed, 
and spun to face out into the open area before him. He sniffed at the air, seeking something, but not knowing what that something was. People had always said that he had had a nose for trouble. How they had meant it when they said it, he had never quite been sure. But he did know one thing, and that was that he could smell trouble on the air, in a way. It was hard to explain, really, to say that one could smell trouble. It seemed absurd, really. But it wasn't so much of a smell as a feeling in the back of his throat that carried on the air an acrid burn of sorts. He had thought that what he smelled tonight would end with the chase, but it hadn't. Wren was never much worried. He could handle it, whatever it was, and it was never that bad. It would probably come in the form of some tough, someone with a fast mouth and a slow wit. That was usually the case. The pigeon held those on occasion that needed to be set straight. He had done it before and would have to do it again, though he preferred to talk his way around them or simply buy peace with a friendly flagon. Wren turned toward the door to the tavern and looked down, briefly inspecting himself, fastidious as ever. He brushed away a smudge on the knee of his breeches and straightened the wide flared collar of his burgundy silk jacket. He couldn't help but smile as he walked toward the blue pigeon. The smile vanished slightly as he stumbled over something unseen in the night shadows, but was back in place before he ever reached the door. Wren stepped past the worn and weathered wooden door and into the small tavern. As he passed the threshold, he was greeted by a smattering of catcalls from various corners of the establishment. The pub was dark inside, the fire small in the hearth creating shadowed recesses along the walls of the room. There were ten tables scattered across the smooth wooden floor. The place smelled of roasting meat and sour wine. It felt like home. Here and there throughout the room sat small groups of patrons. They huddled together in twos and threes. Their quiet conversations stilled, and their heads swiveled to face Wren as he passed. Most muttered a greeting. Wren approached the bar with a smile. Behind it stood the same attractive woman that he had cherished for years. Wren smiled, what he was sure was his most winning smile, and bellied up to the smooth, aged oak bar. Raylan, my love. Radiant as ever. How are you, my dear? I've missed you. A shout from the far corner of the room brought a frown to his face. It sounded something like, quit sucking up. But he wasn't sure he'd heard it right, so he dismissed it immediately. You were here last night, Wren, she replied in a dry monotone. And yet, a mere minute away from you feels like an eternity. You want your usual? Well, yeah. If you're going to be so cold, then maybe I should take my business elsewhere. Maybe to the Four Crowns in the East Square. Janel seems to be rather fond of me, after all. I'm sure that she deals with you just for your money, the same way she deals with all of the men that spend time in her bar. I'll have you remember me feeding you from the time you were six and on the streets before you start talking to going elsewhere. And how many cold nights did you spend in my kitchen when the temples were full? <laughs> my love, a real and true philanthropist, caring for the unwanted youth in their most dire times of need. I'll never forget it. It's one of the reasons that I've decided to make you mine, so I can be as charitable to you as you were towards a young orphan so many years ago. 
Wren watched as Raylan paused for the briefest of moments, as if contemplating something, pursing her lips and furrowing her brow. She leaned across the bar, closing with him. Raylan opened her pouty red lips to speak. The words came out raspy and quiet, a secret just for him. Wren leaned in to receive the secret. Wren? He couldn't help but to lean closer, anticipation bringing out goosebumps on his arms. Close your eyes. He complied, pursing his lips, knowing what was coming. Finally, after so long, a loud crack sounded through the bar as her hand struck his cheek, causing it to redden. The other turned also, from solidarity, of course, certainly not embarrassment. It wasn't that many years ago, kid, and you'll not be the first to try their wiles on me. I care about you like a son. Now here's your ale, there's your table, the likely is not you'll be up and dancing about in no time usual. If you need more, you can get it yourself. I'm going to take a rest. Wren turned his head to study the far wall of the bar as Raylan exited the room through a door behind the bar that led to the small but adequate kitchen. Instead of the wall, he could only see the smiling faces of the patrons. Laughter rang out, and Wren stepped from the bar and turned to face the seated men. I thought it was going to work that time. Honest, I did. That was quality stuff. Another round of laughter followed. Wren shrugged and smiled, bowing slightly at the waist. Glad to entertain, my good fellows. He walked to his usual table, wearing a smile. His usual spot was the one set in the back of the room, as far from the door as he could get. Wren took a seat on the opposite side of the table from the door and wrapped his hands around the tin mug. The vessel was filled with a sweet yet bitter ale that was the color of rich soil. Wren placed the cup to his lips and took a sip. It was strong, as always. The ale from the pigeon always brought a lightness to him that was welcome and familiar. Supposedly, the recipe was Rye's dad's. The stuff was quality, and that was why the pigeon had done so well for so long. Gonna finish a whole one tonight, lightweight? Annan shouted from his table by the fireplace. Ha ha, very amusing. I'd drink you all under the table if I felt like it. The crowd chuckled, and Wren couldn't help but smile with him. So any news, he asked. Nothing here, came a call from the table opposite him. Rake nodded to him, a haggard old patron that spent more time in the pigeon than at home. If he had a home, Wren had never heard him talk about it. The old man cleared his throat again. And what of your latest conquest, young man? Nothing of any great import. A few small wins here and there. The most exciting thing that has happened to me all day was getting my hair trimmed just a bit before coming here. Wren inadvertently moved his hand to his ear. Reckon that's an important thing for a young man like yourself. Ladies like a man that's in fashion and coiffured to the tens. The one tonight didn't much appreciate me. Wren couldn't help himself and chuckled a bit. It's no big thing. Like my old man used to say, there's plenty of seaweed in the ocean to tangle a man's legs. Wren nodded knowingly, unsure of what Rake meant. Anything else to speak of? What about the city? Surely something today happened out of the ordinary. Wren heard a cough from the back of the room and looked to find Elrin clearing his throat. The old man had seen more winners than anyone knew, and from the looks of him, they had been hard ones. Raylan watered his ale to keep him alive more than he would be otherwise and charged him less than the rest of the lot because he had been a good friend of her father's. Now here's the thing, young man. The king saved a boy's life today. That's a story to hear. 
Is that so? And what of that? Well, it was told to me that there was a dignitary from Waith come to call today. Supposed to be that the damn bastards were driving through the streets in a war carriage without a care for anyone. Supposedly, the king and the court were out to meet them when they came tearing up. One of them young ones that mocks the cooks at the palace got in the way in the carriage, and rather than try to stop it, the folks say the driver lashed the team on faster. Word around is that the king drew out the breeze as fast as thought and snatched the boy from under those spiked wheels. That bastard out of Waith would have watched him get run down and then made the lad's mother clean up the mess if he left. Not many round like High Morris. Sounds of agreement filled the room. Wren looked around to find all of the heads present were nodding vigorously. Morris Perlon Galadrine was well loved by all that lived within the kingdom's border. He did what was right when he could and fixed what was wrong when he couldn't. He was a child prodigy studying military tactics under some of the greatest generals to have ever taken a field. By the time he hit his teens, he was teaching military tactics and battle theory to visiting commanders. The king was one of the reasons that the peace had lasted so long on the continent. While Galadrine didn't have the largest army, they did have the best commanders of their generation. They were taught by one of the sharpest strategical minds to have ever held a throne, and it was assumed that whosoever took the field against them was sure to be outplayed. No one rose against another because of the fear that Galadrine would intercede. The chatters quieted across the room and Elrond began once more. Then again, with that knife he has, I don't reckon it'd be that hard to play the part of the hero. Gives him power to be king, doesn't it? A hiss erupted from around the pub, and Wren saw several patrons making signs of warding. Not saying he's a bad king or anything, just saying is all. Magical weapons and whatnot. If I could move as fast as that thing makes him move. Wren had heard many stories about the breeze. All accounts varying about the powers that it gave. One thing remained constant, and that was that it did grant the king's powers. It had always been the same, more or less. Speed. Superhuman speed, to be exact. He had heard that it made him move twice as fast as the quickest man. Ten times, four hundred, and every variation in between. But it was always speed. With that type of weapon, it would be easy to play the hero. That was honest. But where Elrin was wrong in this was that it did not allow him to be king. It was true that every king on the great continent did possess a weapon that allowed him some sort of amplified attribute. But it was not the weapons that made them king. They simply owned one with the crown. It was the people that made a king a king. Wren thought that the idea was a bit too deep for present company, but brought his mug to his lips and took a long drink. He decided that he was in the mood to give a bit of a lesson in the social sciences no matter the crowd or at the very least, a spirited argument on the subject. Wren opened his mouth to begin his dissertation when a loud bang interrupted him. He looked at the bar where the noise originated. Raylan held a rolling pin. It seemed that the noise had been generated by her slamming the hard wooden cylinder down on the counter. She smiled. Just wanted to tell everyone, before Wren gets too deep into his story, that is, that I'll be closing early tomorrow. So... Get it all in now, because there'll be no more. Late night carousing tomorrow. Not in here, anyways. 
Several expletives were shouted from the back of the room, and all the patrons seemed to release a collective awe of disappointment. That's all. Floor's yours, Wren. Wren watched as she turned and retreated from the room once more. He smiled and gripped his mug, taking a deep drink from the three-quarter full vessel once more. He decided that he would give the boys more of what they wanted to hear rather than what he wanted to tell them. He had always done a fair job of embellishing his nightly escapades. Most were sneak-in, sneak-out type of things. If he did it right, that was. But when he would tell it to the patrons of the pigeon, he was always sure to add in a lurid encounter, a daring chase, a grand act of generosity, all to spice it up for the louts that came in here after a long day of fishing or cobbling or laying about. Wren decided that he would give them a love story tonight, though the old men that surrounded him hoped more for a lust story than a loved one. The liquid confidence that sloshed about in his mug heated his face, and he stepped away from his table and out into the open floor, throwing his arms out wide. And so there I was. All right, there we are, number three in the books, uh, The Blue Pigeon. Um, it's getting easier, guys. Uh, it's getting easier. Um, man, I tell you what, the uh, voices, voices are at least trying to, like, differentiate um, who's talking at some time. There's very few, like, uh, NPCs in this. Uh, and, and, and thank goodness there is because – it would kill me. Uh, I feel so silly, so so silly. Uh, but I, I need there needs to be some differentiation there. Otherwise, it's it's hard enough to sort of listen to audiobook, and uh, and from my experience at least, and if everybody has the same voice, even worse. So I'm just doing what I can to separate uh, characters. There's not many of them. Um, you know, the bar is about the only place I think that they're really engaging with, with a bunch of different people. And could be we don't stay here long. I don't know. Um, so, thank goodness, not going to have to do that very much. Um, okay, so on the admin side of things, uh, i finally got a, a Twitter running. I don't actually have a Twitter myself in my real life. Uh, I, I stay away from virtually all social media. Uh, I don't like this stuff. I don't really like putting myself out there. Um, I just kind of do things because I like doing them, and I never really cared who saw them. Um, but, you know, these days you kind of have to have one. So uh, I made one for this. So I, I finally got the Twitter up and running. Um, I'm following people. If you follow me, I'll follow you back. Um, it's just going to be to post episodes. That's about it. Uh, it's going to be, you know, maybe, like I say, maybe answer questions or whatever. Um, I've actually got a buddy who's, who's got a podcast about, of all things, uh, the little house on the prairie, um, shout out the, the, the mom podcast. Uh, and one of the cooler things he gets to do is he has, you know, people that, that listen, fans of the show or just fans of his show, um, write in, write in, ask questions, you know, he gets to answer them. There's some engagement there and that's pretty cool. Uh, because, you know, this is all about this story and really just finding a place for it to live uh, so that, you know, the people that I know can listen to it at some point in time. Um, it's also nice to, uh, nice to know that somebody else is listening. Uh, nobody likes cooking a dinner that doesn't get eaten. Uh, and so, you know, if, if, if you're listening and you feel like engaging with me, uh, please do. 
please do. This is number three. If you listen to one, great. If you listen to two, awesome. The story really starts to pick up. The thing about uh, long or short stories is whatever it is, the beginning just has to build the scene. And then once it takes off, it takes off. And so we're right on the edge of that. And um, the payoff's pretty awesome, I think. Um, but this is supposed to be about admin stuff. So uh, YouTube channel's built, but I still got to put some videos on it. It's just going to be this audio, just another place to find it, no big deal. Uh, Twitter is up and running, so tweet at me, you know, whatever. Uh, if not, just follow, I'll follow you back. And uh, at least you know whenever I put a new episode up, once I stop uploading them daily, um, still some people from Germany listening. That's awesome. Uh, or at least they listened to the last two. Hey, that's sick. Welcome. Uh, I think that's great. I think I think it's great. It's one of the coolest things about the internet, right? Is that we get to, uh, man, people are all over. It's wild. It's wild out there, guys. Um, anyways, hey, uh, once again, thanks for listening. No real admin this time. Going to put up the next, uh, going to put up the next chapter. Should be tomorrow. Um, Lost but not forgotten. Figure out what that's about. Uh, I don't know. Um, anyways, uh, as always, uh, thanks for listening. Have a good one.